The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Working Artist Project. What's up, Greg? Good evening, Mr. Douglas. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm excited. Can you tell? I, I actually, you know, I can't tell. There's a little, I see a little like glimmer inside the your eyeball. <laughs> you look really pumped. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the light, bro. That's the light. You oh, see is that the light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got one of those new selfie lights too? That's right. <laughs> man, tonight we got the one and only Lessie Vonner. Y'all give it up for Lessie. The people go wild. <laughs> Come on, clap. All right. Oh my yes. God. It's, we've, we've reached laugh track. I got, I got to get my laugh track together. I got to get my laugh track together. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And for people who don't know, Leslie is a great trumpet player. And she's originally from a very small town in Texas that, uh, you know, produces a bunch of really great jazz musicians. Grand Prix, Texas. You know, and we can we can argue about Texas in a few minutes. Uh, people also <laughs> may also want to know that you play with Beyonce, Jay Z, Lizzo, and Kathy Sledge. You famous, man! Wow, that's that's crazy. You famous. So I want to I want to I do want to get right into it and and just talk about just generally what is it like for you to be famous and play with somebody like <laughs> like Jay Z? Be famous. I don't know if I'm famous. <laughs> I work with somebody. I've been very blessed to work with people who are famous, you know, and but also just yes, it's it's been a blessing because it's great experience and everybody I've gotten to work with have been like really dope people too. Absolutely. So to get to see that side and work under that has has been great. I relate to what you're saying. And I think one of the, the one of my favorite parts of having the opportunity to work with people who have big names, celebrities and things like that is just being able to see them in the hallways and just those 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 little things that everyone does and you get to see how they do it and they do it just like everyone mm-hmm. else too. <laughs> so that's yeah. it's always inspirational. But but like mm-hmm. your music, can we t- can we maybe start with like some of the musical beginnings and how you got uh you got into the trumpet and uh like why, how, why, why do you play music and how did you fall in love with the trumpet? So I think I fell in love with the trumpet long before I knew, like in my heart, I wanted to be a professional trumpet player or musician because um, in I think third, second or third grade, my teacher had, gave us this reading assignment and we all went down to the library and she was like, pick a book, somebody you've never heard of. And so everybody already gotten all the Harry Potter books. So <laughs> the last book that I was able to get was E.B. White, Trumpet of the Swan, which short summary of the book is about a swan, trumpeter swan, who was born mute. So he couldn't like talk to the other swans. He couldn't holler at the lady swans and everything. So but somehow he ended up with a trumpet and through playing the trumpet, he was able to communicate. Wow. To that was his way to communicate to different people. So I guess something about that stuck out to me. So I was like, I want to try to play trumpet. But a good old Grand Prairie ISD, <laughs> you, you can't, you're, you're not, they didn't really teach like actual instruments besides maybe the recorder and the triangle until you got the sixth grade, there's middle school. So I had three years of this building. Cause it's like, I want to play this trumpet. So then I finally got to play it. And I was like, oh man, this is everything I thought it would be. So Wow. What a story. What a story. That's crazy. Okay. Like, so wait, how old are you, were you again when you read this book? Uh, what is third grade? What is uh, that like? I don't know what age, but like eight, eight maybe eight, <laughs> eight nine. No, I think ten, third, I th- no, third grade must be 
No, maybe eight or nine. Yeah, you might be yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to wait three whole years before you actually got to like play, pick up and play a trumpet? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that must have been yeah. rough for a young kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I was involved in other stuff and like the music programs that were available because we had a recorders club, you know, so I was in that and had a good understanding of like basic music theory and I was involved in like stuff at church and like so I was always around music but like this very particular thing of like wanting to play trumpet yeah I had to wait yeah I don't know why anybody would torture themselves with this instrument but you know all (laughs) trumpet players are a little crazy in my sight man you know because it's one of those things like the stories you hear is like oh yeah this cat played trumpet for 30 years and his lips exploded you're like that you know what that's the one I want to play (laughs) <laughs> you know, I got to, when I came up for college, my first private lesson teacher was Cecil Bridgewater. And like right off the bat, he was like, you know, we're crazy, right? And I'm like, what do you mean, Mr. Bridgewater? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, we've decided as trumpet players to pick up this piece of metal beat it against our face and blow air into it. And that's what we've decided to do (laughs) for a living. Uh, And I was just like, well, I have to say you can't take, you can't, you can't steal all the crazy for all the trumpet players in the world. Cause you know, you know, I think there's a lot of competition between instruments as musicians as to who holds the title for crazy. (laughs) Oh oh, yes. yes. Trombone players. I think actually we need to get a panel. We should probably get like the, the gen, the gen conference panel on debate oh, right. instrument. Which instrument? Some of the crazy, cra- I'm going to be honest. Some of the craziest musicians I've known are drummers. So, oh, you, we're, we're very eccentric people, you know, so, uh, we're full of love sure. and grace. That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so you down there in Texas where the barbecue mm-hmm. is okay. And oh, you, oh, we going there? Yeah, it's just okay. Oh, and you, nah. you waited three years. You know, I had a similar thing because I saw the drums for the first time when I was probably like three or four, and I wanted to play, but it I didn't really start playing drums until like sixth grade because my mom was like, nah, you know. So so I get that weight, and you must have had a lot of passion for the instrument. So what happened like when you finally got got it in your hands? You know, I have been asking for it for probably years at this point, but for sure for months. So the Christmas, uh, the year before sixth grade, my parents got me like my first trumpet. I still had to wait like a half year until I could learn how to play it. But I was just so high. I probably, I spent, I think I spent like the whole day and probably week just trying to figure it out because I, at the time I didn't know, like you're supposed to buzz to get the note. <laughs> so I was just blowing air. You could imagine just blowing yeah. air straight in it for like a day. Right. And then somehow like uh, by fluke, yeah, I accidentally buzzed and it made a note. I was like, oh, this is how you do it. Wow. It was back in the day before YouTube and things like that. When you yeah. like, I remember when I got my clarinet for Christmas too, like mm-hmm. I, I was just blowing it. And I told my mom, I was like, I think it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> and like and it's funny because I remember I was like blowing in the horn and pushing the two side keys which you know as now knowing how the clarinet works like that was definitely the recipe for disappointment <laughs> but that's, yeah that's yeah, funny that's, man that's amazing but so you and then so again like so you, you got your trumpet and then you actually mm-hmm. went and studied at an arts high school in, in Dallas the mm-hmm. Booker T um, Washington School of the Arts and that's actually a mm-hmm. pretty important um, school not you know it has a, a great roster of alumni and also probably one of the, the greatest trumpet players of mm. our time or arguably one of the you know one of the cats Mr. Roy Hargrove is a graduate from the institution and yep. I wonder maybe if you could comment on some of your time over there and how going to an arts high school influenced you as a musician and also going to the same school and being a trumpet player that, that Roy Hargrove mm. went to. So I always say like if I didn't go to that high school or if I wasn't as passionate as wanting to become a better musician I probably wouldn't y'all probably wouldn't know me if I went to my my home high school because just the not only just the education I was able to get at that high school but also like the camaraderie because it's like all the arts kids whether you're a musician you had dancers theater arts, uh, visual artists, 
like from all the schools where I would think still at that time we would have been, I guess, the outcasts at our um, home high schools were able to be all together and like play off of each other, play together for musicians. So yeah, being able to have that sort of energy and environment at that age, I think was really instrumental in me yeah, going for this profession or going after this dream of being in music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny when you, when you were mentioning that had you gone to your normal high school, it, that whole experience would have been so different. I went to a Catholic, pretty conservative, all-boys school in the morning and then went to an arts high school in the afternoon. And oh, wow. it's funny because I'm like thinking in my head, like I went from being like the nerdy loser <laughs> band jazz kid <laughs> to like at the arts high school, all the jazz, everyone was afraid of the jazz students because we were like the bad kids at school. <laughs> So I, I thought, sorry, I was thinking about that as you were commenting. <laughs> it's like, even now, like now I'm still teaching at the school and like the other teachers from the other departments are just like, yeah, but we can't handle the jazz kids. <laughs> just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, it's not to say that like arts high schools or arts magnets, what we call them, didn't also still have like the high school vibe of like you got the popular kids and then the kids doing whatever. It was just like, the popular kid would then turn around and like play a heck of a piano solo yeah. and go on about their day. <laughs> so yeah. It's very interesting. Absolutely. I, I, let's pivot. Let's pivot to this. I, how did you get to play with Beyonce? You know, because I would say I had no idea that you were even playing pop music. I see you at Smalls, you know, playing over Cherokee. Next thing I know, <laughs> I see you on a damn on fucking BT awards. What the hell is going on? You know, <laughs> How do you how do you make that transition? So I always say that I owe a lot of my growth and like going, I guess, jumping to whatever next level for me is to like women who are also in this industry. Because mm. um, particularly with Beyonce, it was a friend of mine, Arnetta Johnson, amazing trumpet player based out of Camden, New Jersey. She was on the gig at the time, and this is probably, it was 2016, and each year, Beyonce, uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce throw a, you call it a benefit concert at the Barclays Center for their, based off their title, mm-hmm. a streaming platform, and so she, Beyonce decided to perform this year, and so the MD Derek Dixie, amazing guy. He was like, you know what? I think I want a second trumpet player because at the time it was just trumpet, tenor sax, and alto sax. And so Arnetta was like, oh man, hit up my girl Leslie. She's in New York. She'd be dope. And so then he hit me. Actually, she called me before he hit me up. Wow. Because you have to sign uh, NDAs before oh, you're on the gig word. because they don't want. You know, they don't want anybody ruining wow, so you had whatever to send, she has you, planned. You had to sign an NDA before you even showed up. Yeah. And so my friend, Arnetta, called me. She was like, Leslie, this guy's about to call you. He's not going to be able to tell you what the gig's for, but just, like, take the gig. I'm on it. Cool. And I'm like, bet. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and so sure enough, he called me. And he's like, I get it. You know, like, it's weird, like, me not being able to give you any of the details. But I promise it's worth it. You can Google my name. If like that'll help you come to the decision. And I was already like, no, my girl Annetta said you're cool, so I'm gonna do it. Wow. And then sure enough, it was for that title show. Wow. And it's just yeah, really just off dang near every opportunity I've been able to do is based off of having these great women in the industry in my life and just having that good relationship with them. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Kathy Sledge, I went to one of my older sisters, uh, Caddy Rodriguez, who also was one of the OGs on the Beyonce band. But she saw something in me and like put me in a lot of different spots. So what was was it like kind of going from, what what was it like stepping into a gig of that, that magnitude, that profile and that, that the spotlight, like what, what, surprised you about that or did anything surprise you at all well I so 
my friend um, who who's been like a mentor for me in this industry, Caddy Rodriguez. She was already she's been playing with Beyonce since Beyonce had the all female band. So me spending time with her on uh, she would call me for a church gig um, up in the Bronx. And so spending time with her and hearing her stories and like different things they did and learned when they were like the young ones on the gig. And so I already had a good idea of what to expect. Um, And also just the gigs that Caddy was able to get me in the door of, the Kathy Sledge um, Casino gig and uh, BET Black Girls Rock, which was like my first TV gig. So (laughs) I remember the hardest thing it took me to get over was like not like focusing on your job and like, Cause you got these cameras like swinging in and sometimes <laughs> all up in your face and you're not supposed to look good at the camera unless yeah. they want you to and dancing. And then sometimes dancing in heels cause that's the wardrobe and all these different things. So I had already gotten kind of like a good one idea from hearing stories, but then also I had like a good, like, okay, you're going to start here. You're going to start here. So when I got to the Beyonce gig, I felt like I was, you're well, ready for it. Prepared on my from experiences leading up. I, I'm curious, like, do the gigs? So, for instance, like you got that first call, your homegirl Arnetta, right? Called you. You're mm-hmm. on. So now, do mm-hmm. they call you for the residual ones? They're like, oh, Leslie did that. Like, let me ki- let me hit her up for the next ten things. Or, I mean, or is it just? I mean, yeah, because okay. <laughs> I ended up. So that gig was in October of like 2016, and then she did a private screening of that in LA and like they called me back. Wow. Okay. And then called me back for Coachella and Sun the Third. Yeah, because the so. which one was the documentary? I saw you back there in the background. The one uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was the Coachella performance. Yeah, that was she did. I was like me and Shadia was watching. I was like, what is that is that Leslie? In the back trumpet thing. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> it's funny. I was gone from New York for so long. <laughs> And like not being able to tell people what I'm doing. Right. Wow. So you, you like couldn't people, even talk about it while you were there. Oh, so like people be hitting me up for gigs or like wanting to hang out. I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually out of town. I'm like, dang, you were out of town last time I called you. I'm like, yeah, you know, God's good. I've been working. <laughs> you know? Like trying to get like learning how to give answers that don't spark like people wanting to ask more. Because if they keep, I was like, because I take it very seriously because one, it's a legally binding contract, but then also it's just, I don't want to give away any of the magic Mm -hmm. that is a Beyonce performance. Absolutely. So like trying to figure out how to say it. How long were you out there rehearsing and and preparing for that? Uh, Months. Yeah. It was a bit off and on at the beginning, but then we were there pretty much the, yeah, it was months. Wow, yeah, it's kind of like boot camp, you know. Like I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw that oh, documentary, oh, yes. Greg, but like I saw, Beyonce, I saw like half of it. Yeah, I, okay. I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah, it was kind of intense. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, new school didn't have like New York schools don't really have sororities or frats like that. So I can only imagine like it might have been a taste of what joining a sorority must have been. Wow, because it was like you're around those people like. All the time. Dang near, yeah, like dang near 24-7. And like going through the rehearsing and like learning a show and then changing and all this different stuff. And it's a lot of people to be around all the time. Yeah. It's crazy like being in those situations because I guess like a lot of our training, you know, from going to arts high schools and studying um, music in college and things like that, all of our training centers around playing music, studying music Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But then you get on a gig like that and what you're kind of saying is like you spend 20, you you spend 18 hours around the same 50, 60 people rehearsing, busting your ass. Everyone's tired. Everyone's cranky. There's all (laughs) kind of stuff going on. You got heels on, you're dancing, you're learning dance moves. You're like, and so it's like, what, like, like what advice do you have for someone who's looking to be on a gig like that and 
And if you were to recommend someone to be on a gig like that, what would you be looking for in a musician? Just so you know, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm also ready to hit <laughs> everybody. I, I, I think the documentary would have been taken to the next level had there been <laughs> me and my clarinet up there. <laughs> so this is all like this is all assuming that you have the talent, like the musical proficiency. So one of the first things I think even just for like any gig I want to do, let, like let alone a Beyonce gig, is like, are they a decent human being? Because you think that would be like an easy thing, but you know, <laughs> the cr- it's not. The crazy competition. <laughs> it's like being being able to, like, I guess like read the room and like read different people's energies. And just be aware that people are human and it's not like, you know, it's not always going to be sunshine and daisies or whatever. But, you know, you're all here to accomplish whatever the goal is. So like keeping that in mind as you go forth to figure out, okay, how can we work together to finish, uh, achieve this goal? But yeah, that's that's probably one of the biggest things. It's like, are they a decent human being? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> At all levels. That seems like the secret to all things in life, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> just, like, just be yeah, a good people person. Struggle. Yeah, they do. They that do. is hard. I mean, it's funny because I feel, I guess I, I kind of maybe take advantage of that part of my personality where I'm pretty easygoing. And, but I see it in a lot of other people's personalities. It's just not, it's just not who they are. <laughs> like, yeah. I know people who don't, like, don't, like, you, they might be on a one-time gig or something but i know people who will not get the call because it's like they don't know how to treat other people with respect and you know yeah absolutely or or some people who turn everything into a competition that would be me i was like because i was thinking like what if i (laughs) what, what if i was to believe the idea of that like for instance me and arnetta like we're both young black women who play trumpet if I was to believe the idea that because we do the same thing she is my competition Mm. so therefore I should not like f with her whatever the case may be and like how many opportunities would have been lost just from that mentality absolutely and that's unfortunately that's I think just in general like this idea of like being competitive and like every Thing is a threat to your success. Do you, do you think that's a, a mentality that's like, I don't, is that a young people's mentality or is that maybe like something that music school like subconsciously drills into our head in some, on some level? Uh, I don't, like, phys- like the ways it make manifest physically, it might be a young person thing, but I think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, you can limit it to just an age. Hmm. Because I remember a lot of the flat, if not that I really was paying attention or focusing on it, but some of the flack I got from like doing all these different things came from like older musicians. And I'm just like, y'all, I, I don't really understand it. I stopped trying to understand it after a while. But yeah, I don't think it's an age thing. You know, you know, I think it's just a human thing. You know, it's just yeah. like a, I think it's a basic survival thing. It's like, I need to eat. So I need to, I need to kill this person so that I can eat <laughs> all the food, you know, and especially for men. It's like, yeah, what's up, bro? It's testosterone, man. Let me show you. <laughs> uh, I can play quarter notes faster than you, even though they're the same speed. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not always uh, productive. And like you said, you got to know when to turn that off so that you can network with the people around you and, because mm-hmm. ultimately, especially in music and maybe in every industry, we share opportunities because I can only mm-hmm. take one opportunity at a time, you know? And so yeah. I get up op- personally, I get opportunities all the time and I'm like, oh, who can I, who can I pass this to that can A, do the job and B, be a good person. And mm-hmm. that's like a very short list. And so I got five people I always call, you know? 
Yeah, that, that yeah, list yeah. is that list is fifty people long. When you're like, who can play? All right, cool. Now who can who can do this gig? All right, it goes down to two real quick. Yeah. Who would people not mind being around when we're gonna be on the road for the next three months? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, exactly. Leslie, that you say that because I had a conversation. Or they were, we had a master class at at the uh, the school where I teach, and this it was a film composer, and he said exactly what what you're saying is like the, one of the. The, the advice he gave at the end was be the type of person that could contribute to a project without making other people feel threatened, that you're going to try and like take their job or something like that. And I, mm-hmm. I'm i so glad to hear you say that. Um, it, I'm so glad to hear that mm-hmm. twice in the same week because it must be something really important. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Right? Yeah. I want to I want to kind of switch gears here. And um uh, why don't we play one of your songs right now? And this is one sure. that you wrote. It's entitled, just so the people can hear you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Waltz for Jim. How about that? Y'all cool with that?
Shout out to that drummer, though. Hey, that was actually, you know, we haven't seen each other in seven or eight months, but we have played together. And uh, that oh, was you know. that was me on drums, right? It's pretty, pretty yeah. interesting. That's world killer. we're living in these Bless days. You sound beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Dad, absolutely. you sound all right. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's all I that's all I can wish for out here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's see. So what was that song about? Waltz for Jim. So I had this incredible uncle, Uncle Jim Lee in Dallas, mm-hmm. where him as everybody else in Texas can make the best barbecue in the world. <laughs> but <laughs> but he he loved music. He loved jazz. Um, he loved like all types of music. And he was one of the first people when I was like, you know what? I think I want to be a musician when I grew up. Wow. He was just like, yes, he has all the things to listen to. He would burn me like smooth jazz CDs oh. and like any trumpet player he knew of CDs and war. And um, yeah, so he unfortunately got sick and passed away my the year or a couple of months actually before I moved up to New York. So he was on my mind a lot when I wrote the piece. And um, I think I wrote that in while I was in college my freshman year. So wow, yeah, I w- wow. wanted to write a composition that encompassed like all of the feelings I had for this beautiful man. Mm. And uh, yeah. Well, you did it. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you did it. Um, I want to pivot over to, to some other poignant issues happening in, in the world today that's affecting mm-hmm. all of us for the better, mm-hmm. some for the worse. We have, we have a, a unique situation where we have a vice president that is a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to talk about what the meat, what that means and how representation matters and why. Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, despite what, you know, our parents or whoever encourages us, tells us sometimes it's really important just to be able to see what is possible. And um, yeah, and I, the fact that you could say like my future vice president is going to be a black woman, a woman who looks like me, who I know has gone through some of the same things I've probably gone through is almost more than I can say because it's just, yeah, it's, I'm more hype over that. And also in the fact that it was also women who looked like me who were instrumental in helping her get there too. Cause it's like black, like I said before, like I owe everything to like the women who've come before me and who helped lift me up to the new levels. So it's gratifying to know like, yeah, like we helped put her there. And like now just the doors, like she'll be able to open for other black women and women of color to also be or do whatever they want to be or do, you know, it's, it's a pretty great feeling. Yeah. It's like, it's the first time it's ever happened. So I think I'm still (laughs) getting used to the fact that it's like, dang, black woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's like second. I feel like it's it's like sinking in for everyone too, because after what um, the emotional roller coaster we've all been through over the last couple of years, um, (laughs) it's almost like it's hard to get excited because there's just such a calming sense of peace and like Mm -hmm. just joy (laughs) that that not the kind of jump up and down joy, but just like this, we did it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yes, it's it's it's, for me. It's huge. I have five sisters, you know, Mm -hmm. and when Barack was elected. It, it gave you a feeling of like, you know what, man, anything can happen now, you know, mm-hmm. because you never imagined that a black person or any other person other than a white man would be the president, you know. So this this is in particular is huge uh, because, first of all, she's a woman first, you know, and then to be a black woman and put that on top. And then she's she's also has some other well, she's she's uh, Indian, too. like mm-hmm. and, and so it's like, man, like we just opened up a whole like. America has to realize that 
anybody can be in that position, you know, mm-hmm. and that everybody deserves representation. And yeah. and I think that is what scares some people and makes other people excited. And it's not even just the representation part. It's the fact that, yes, like people need to be here, but also we can do this job. Like, you know, it's, it's more than just being like, oh, that's great. He's the first one ever. It's like, no, she is the first one ever, but she is one who is qualified for this position. Overly like, qualified. Overly. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Absolutely, man. I, this reminds me, we should talk about money. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as we all know, women get paid less money. And when you were doing this, the whole, you know, you've been out here with Jay-Z, Beyonce, all these really famous people. And then also you out here day-to-day playing gigs with your peers. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you negotiate the money and and how do you get with your, demand what you're worth? So, well, the, I think the main thing in demanding what you're worth is knowing that you're worth, like knowing you're worth and why. Because I think being able to do these um, types of gigs where the money is considerably better than like maybe the day-to-day stuff I do in the city, like really opened my eyes to like, well, if this person who probably is one of the few people who can get away with not paying somebody anything pays me well and um, pays me what I feel like I deserve, then why can't you know, a person who I'm doing probably like, I don't know, like a fifth or I guess as much of the work as they are, you know? Yeah. So like keeping that in mind, but then, um, yeah, I don't know. It changes because some gigs is like, might not be paying that much, but I, is something, I, the maybe the cause or something is something I hold dear to. So I'm more willing to do it. But then also just knowing like, okay, this is like, this is just a gig and what, like how much am I, like, what are the expectations? Like, am I composing any of this part? It's like, am I particularly like now, since I've gotten like more like working from home gigs and like tracking horns with different people. It's like, am I coming up with the horn lines? That's going to be either, you got to give me whatever credit or you got to like pay me enough to like not mind not getting credit for it. And just like, I kind of have a list that I go through to be like, okay, this is, this is like the range I'm willing to do this gig for. And like, if they meet that range, then cool. If not, then like keep it trucking. (laughs) I definitely don't want to be someone who gets known as for like, oh yeah, she'll, she'll take any gig. You know, (laughs) it's like she'll be paying. When when you ask for a price, do you oftentimes find that people will say like they can't hire you because of that? Or do people, do you think people are more willing to work with you when you do um, come up with a price that you're willing to, that you feel comfortable with? Um, I rarely ever be like, it's rarely ever like somebody just being like flat out like, oh, that's too much. No, usually there's always some side of like, oh, that's too, it's not really in my budget. What about this? Or like haggle. And then if it's still within the price range, you know, I came up with and it's whatever. But um, I don't know. I, I, I wonder sometimes, because sometimes I'll get like the... Like, oh, you know, just help a brother out, help a sister out, depending on, like, who the person is. And I'm like, is that because I'm a woman or because I'm black that you're hoping that you can get away with, like, taking advantage of me? (laughs) So it's just, it's really important to me at this point of where I'm at in a career that I, I guess, stick to my guns. And, like, if it's something, if it's a price that I'm just like, I can't, like, it's not something I can do. And like still respect myself at the end of the day, then it's like it's not worth it. See, I always tell my wife this. You know what my favorite word is? No. It is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh-uh. But and this is the thing, as a musician, right? As 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 an entrepreneur, this is how I like mm-hmm. to think of it. Like you can't go into Apple and be like, hey man, I want this, I want this new laptop. And it's okay, great. That's gonna be twenty six hundred dollars. You'd be like, mm, how about fifteen? Uh, they're going to be like, no. 
and and we got to do the same thing because it's like, yo, we man, do. this costs money. And all, you got to, like you say, you know your price. And there's mm-hmm. a range. It's like, all right, I'm going to do this kind of gig between these ranges. And and I, I have the same kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you call me, I ain't doing nothing. I might want to do that for that price. But usually the answer is no, because I got to get mm-hmm. out of my house, put my pants on, drive my car, pick up the drums. But- all that costs money. <laughs> Especially with the Rona now. What? It's like now my life is in danger. I had oh, to tell a very established institution. Do you know how much it cost? No, I can't do it for that price. <laughs> and and they emailed me back and, and excluded, didn't even acknowledge that I told them that they shouldn't be asking me or anybody else to play for this amount. Mm-hmm. They just said, thank you for, uh, uh, but no, what about, mm-hmm. I said, remember when I said, uh, hell no to that price can we <laughs> can we acknowledge that as a humans and so. then i also because everything's a learning experience i also try to t- if i have to say no i also try to tell people exactly why no because they might not even think of like just all the things a person has to go through to be able to make their gig hmm. so you are I mean, a very lovely person <laughs> Well, that's really nice I mean, of you to just te- to, yeah. to, to lay it out. <laughs> I mean, everything's um, learn. I have to learn some stuff, so you can at least offer yeah. that, pass it on. Nah, not so, I just be like, if nope. they keep tripping, then okay, you get blocked. But <laughs> yeah, was was that something that you so like ask? So I guess like it's like taboo to talk about money as an artist. Like was that like a a thing that like maybe you had like initial anxieties about, or did you have to like train yourself to? To, to feel brave and confident to say no. <laughs> I definitely have to train because then it's like some opportunities that you really want to do, but you just know like, yeah, but that price isn't sitting well with me. So it's like, do you take a chance? And then they like, they just might go on with somebody else or do you like go for it? And then the times that I've gone for it have all ended up like me being able to get like something of what I was asking for. So that, that's I, still, a, I still struggle with it, you know, depending on the opportunity, but, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I definitely have to train myself to be like, I can't, <laughs> even though I want to, I can't take this gig. It's like, it's, it's, for me, it's a respect thing. And then also like, how can we ever get musicians like on a whole to, being hired or getting paid for what they deserve if we continue to take things that we don't deserve. So. Absolutely. And that's the tricky yeah. part about being a musician too, you guys, is that mm-hmm. sometimes uh, you get offered a gig, right? So someone calls you, hey man, can you make this gig? It pays 300 bucks and it's going to take all day. But So mm-hmm. you have to kind of like, well, what's kind of connections can I make? You kind of got to dissect it. Mm-hmm. And will this gig you know, do they usually pay a thousand per gig and then they got 50 more gigs for me this year? And so then mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, OK, I'll, I'll take this to get in. But the second time they call me, I'm going to be like, you know, my real price is this. Or you can tell them right up, like, I'm going to take it this time because, you know, I want to work with you. And hopefully mm-hmm. going forward, we can do X, Y and Z. You yeah, know, that's that's the Cause, tricky part. Yeah, because the other the other side of that, too, is like, is there a. Pretty much like what you just said. It's like, what relationship can I build by taking this gig? Because even on like the most unassuming gigs, I guess in your opinion, you would think are unassuming, can lead to like crazy opportunities. Mm Because how I got on the to be able to be in the house band for BET Black Girls Rock, I was doing some random jazz, like big band gig and Camille Thurman, awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, saxophonist, vocalist. So she was like, oh, the church I play at needs a trumpet player. Our trumpet player, like, dropped out. Can you do the gig? I'm like, yeah. So I go, and that's where I met Caddy Rodriguez. Wow. And so from being able to do that church gig well and, like, professional on time, you know, learning the music or whatever. So then she was like, you know what? Are you able to do this gig? Uh Kathy Sledge, she's looking for a female horn section. Are you are you down to do that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So did that gig, uh, did it well. Again, professional, like showing up all the rehearsals, like whatever. So 
from me being a, like me showing like I guess how professional I can be and like how well I can execute each gig he's like oh I know you can handle like the BET Black Girls Rock mm-hmm. and so that, a gig that I've finally been dreaming about doing from ever since I was able to watch BET Black Girls Rock it's like I'm now able to do it just from like ex like doing again being a good person but also like doing the gigs like all like gigs are executing them well yeah professional I, f- I feel like the same way you treat a $50 gig is, is ultimately going to be the same way you treat a $1,000 gig. If you're going to show up late with the wrong clothes, not learn the music for 50 bucks, there's a good chance you're going to do the same for a th- that $1,000 gig. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. Listen, I, I hate to say this, but we're getting close to time here and I, and I don't want to <laughs> miss out on the opportunity to let you promote all the things you want to promote and tell the people where they can connect with you at. Mm-hmm. So I'm on just about all the social medias, but probably most active on Instagram. You can find me at at Lessie V Trumpet. I also have a website, uh, LessieVonner.com. One thing is wrong promo. Um, Thankfully, I've been able to keep working with this amazing nonprofit music organization out of the South Bronx called Upbeat NYC. Um, I've been working with them for about five, five or so years now. And I started off as a volunteer and eventually got on their staff. And then recently I just became like the jazz director for their jazz and Afro Latin um, band. But um, thank you. Yeah. And I'm really proud of the kids and like how well they've been able to like transition from like meeting in person to like completely virtual because everything's virtual now zoom or whatsapp but they've been able to keep up with like all their music lessons and we've tried to we're navigating the how do we play together when we're far apart so a couple of videos are out there you can find them on my instagram and i think they have a facebook page as well but um but yeah they've it's a great family of people the directors Liza and Liza Austria and Richard Miller are amazing people and I'm just so so amazing to see the good work they've been able to do in the community of the South Bronx so check them out donate if you feel like it you can find their donation page on their website yeah is this is this a is this a so just real quick is this a program that is uh is it a day-to-day program or how, how does the program work exactly so it's everything is of no cost to the students involved. So they're gifted an instrument, depending on what they want to play, they're give, gifted an instrument and free music lessons. So most, I teach a lot of private lessons with um, their trumpet students. And then if they want to be in an ensemble, it started off mostly as a classical program so there's a couple of different levels of orchestra. And then we've, I create the jazz program probably about three or four years ago. And so there's just, yeah, it's mostly private lessons and then whatever ensemble the kids are in. So some people it's every day, depending on how many groups they're in. And then sometimes it's a couple times a week. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And if you guys are listening to this on a podcast, go over to Upbeat New York city i think it's upbeatnewyork.com.org mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and upbeatnyc.org uh, there you go and uh, give them all your money because they need it and uh, you can also check us out at second line arts collect secondlinearts.org and uh, we're also a nonprofit. and check out what we're doing too listen lessie thank you so much for coming on the working artist project Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Yeah, it was always amazing. We learned a lot about you and about the <laughs> business. And you sound great. That was a killing tune Darian played earlier. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Darian Douglas. Hey, my name is Gregory Ajid. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch y'all next time. Later. Thank you, Leslie.